Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Bibliotheques in Discussion. Today, I am joined by Bath-based photographer Mark Wilson. Good evening, Mark. Uh, good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you, and uh, many thanks for giving me up some of your time this evening to talk about your talk about your work. Um, obviously, many of you will know Mark, um, commercial-based photographer, but uh, I think in the last couple of years, he certainly brought out a number of books. Last Stand being the most known and more recently travel log. Um, so before we talk about his books, it'd be great, Mark, if you could maybe give us a, a good introduction to your work and your, your photographic journey. Yeah, of course. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so I I work, I guess, um, as a documentary photographer. You can yeah. describe it, although it could be described as documentary landscape as well, um, but very much not pure landscape photography yes. in that way. Um, and the, the kind of general, there's always a general underlying theme behind my work, which is kind of the memory and history set in the landscape around yeah. us. So what I come across when I'm looking for things and what I try to make bodies of work about are these stories that are set within the landscape. So they're stories that may be defined around a building and a structure, or it could be much more towards an individual person's story and yeah. a journey that they take through the landscape in that way. So that's that's what's important to me and that's what I always try and speak about through my images yeah that way yeah. um carry on sorry no on your own yeah um it was just talking about the as well as imagery being really important to me text plays a big role in yeah. my work um and it's kind of the, the short version of the word context context is everything to me in that, that way so I'm always very happy to to let people know what they're looking at in yeah. my photograph and I always try to give them hints, um, you know, with a title or a caption or potentially like the, the title of a book in that way. Yeah. So people can go into work either with a connection to a little bit of prior knowledge that they may have already of that subject matter or realise that they're kind of on a, a journey and a learning journey as they look through my work in that way. Yeah. So it's not just what they're seeing, but it's very much what's behind the image, you know, what's layered behind it in the story in that way. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously... Sorry, headphones fall. <laughs> so yeah, obviously take, taking the last stand you, you mentioned there, um, very much about remembering history, which really comes across very strongly in, in, in the book. So really what provided the idea and inspiration behind the last stand specifically? Yeah, um, well, I don't have any military background. Um, yeah. I don't have any kind of historical research background either in that way. It was, I made that work between 2010 and 2014. And it was, it was something as simple as I was, I was looking for a piece of work to make. I wanted to make a larger body of work. And I looked back at a, a much less successful and smaller piece of work I'd made, I think four or five years before that, yep. kind of mid 2000 or so. And there was a couple of images in that body of work, which were images of these military installations that happened to be on the coast as well. And they'd always been quite well received. And I, I kind of felt that there was something more there. Yeah. I remember the one of the reasons that initial work was unsuccessful is that it was, the idea was so vast and massive that I had no, no real direction to it. So yeah. I ended up hard making any work for it because there was, I couldn't work out what to take pictures of in that way. Yes. And I didn't really know what I, was trying to, what I was trying to say. It was almost too confusing in my own mind. And, but I thought this could, have, you know, this could have some legs, this could be interesting. So I started doing some research and found some locations around the coastline of the UK to start with. And the reason I kind of focus on the coastline is I didn't want the work to be purely about military installations per se from a particular yep. period of time, but I wanted to bring in other kind of layers of 
other layers of meaning, other layers of story behind the images. So the idea, you know, behind the coast is that you bring in coastal erosion, you bring in the passing of time, you bring in movement, how objects can, you know, start in one position and end up in another position. Yes. And the yep. way the way the, the coast is used is a leisure area and that yep. kind of stuff as well. So by kind of by narrowing down what I wanted to photograph, it broadened the horizon of the whole project in that way. Yeah. So I felt there was something there. And then it was, I think the first, if I remember right, the first few locations I went to were in Norfolk on the, the, the uh, east coast of the UK. And those images never made it into the book or the work <laughs> in the end. But um, I, I remember doing some, you know, some test shots. Um, and at the time I did test shots with my 5.4 camera, which is what I was using at the time. Um, straight to a test shot with the 5.4 camera, but there you go. Yeah. Um, and they, they visually worked really, really well. And I found that what I was doing is that when I, started kind of making my initial composition you know before i actually took a photograph that i was moving further and further away from the object itself and showing more and more of the landscape that it was right. set in yes and that's what i immediately realized was of real interest to me yeah so instead of making work that's purely about an individual singular concrete object that has yeah. no context around it i found myself really wanting to almost make a photograph of the context Yes. And yep. within that context was a singular or sometimes a series of singular objects that held stories within them. And that's what I knew was the key to making this work, was to doing it in that way. And then I think the third or fourth location I went to was down in on the coast, south coast of the UK in Studland Bay. And I kind of made some test images and then went back the next morning and made some, you know, some proper images there with the tide at the right height, etc. Yep. Um, and it visually worked really well also. And that's when I realized I had something visual I had, I had something that had like a, a visual pull and a, a visual characteristic to the work in that way. And then it was really a case of um, pushing it forwards kind of in a research body, you know, deciding how big I wanted to make the work, where I wanted yes. to set the work. You know, was it just a UK coastline? I did I want to go across to the European coastline as well. And obviously that brought in um, historical, you know, kind of cultural issues. and. I realized it was essential for me to do that. So I didn't want to just make work that was about UK military defenses. I didn't want yeah. to be one-sided in that way. Yes. So I knew yeah. that, that I had to make work on both sides of the coast. And then yeah. it was a case of working out um, visually, you know, as well as that kind of composition that I was talking about, what visual look did I want the work to have? And that's, um, that was actually a fairly simple decision for me to make in that way. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, as you know, from you've got the book, and the, I think anyone that knows the work, it's it's quite monotone work. It's, it's color, obviously, uh, but yeah. quite monochromatic in the way that it's you know the lighting is is flat throughout yeah. the work. There's no harsh contrast. There's no wherever possible. There's no sunshine. There's no shadows. And the reason for that is I didn't I didn't want to, and I didn't feel the need to add any extra drama through exciting, for want of a better word, exciting yeah. lighting. You know, or sunrises or sunsets, which, to be honest, has never been my kind of thing anyway. Yeah. In, in any my photography, but especially for this kind of work, the reason being that you know the history was dramatic enough, and the stories yes, absolutely. And I thought if I can provide images that are as, in a way, as soft and sensitive and subtle as possible, then what hopefully that would do would um, draw the viewer in, and yeah. then once the viewer's there, you know, but without that kind of slap across the face sort of thing, but just draw them in sensitively. Yeah. Um, and that would then allow them to almost the image and therefore the story and the history and the ideas behind it to kind of wash over people yeah. and to become part of their way of thinking, which would then lead them on to turning the page in the case of a book and wanting to look at the next image and the next image and the next yeah. image in that one. And it seemed, you know, it's, I think it works very well. 
Yeah, I, I would take. I, I would agree. I think I was having another look through it just before before we started talking, and yeah, the the the, the tonal balance throughout the whole of the book. It, they're just. It's all muted tones, I suppose, but they, they just work. They're very, very soft. And as you say, it draws you into the image and it just relaxes you as, as you're working your way through the book and you keep wanting to turn the next page. There's, no, there's nothing that's, oh, that's quite a bright sunrise or that's quite a bright sunset. It's just, it's all very balanced, which I think particularly for the subject matter as well, yeah. really com really complements it. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, not, it's not about the bright heart. It's not about a stunning sunrise or anything like that. As you say, it's about the context. It's about the subject matter in the location that they're in. And um, it's, it's, I, I, I really like the way that you've covered a whole variety of locations. And it was one thing I wanted to ask you was, how did you approach your research and identify which locations you, you wanted to do? Because obviously I think you cover all the way up to the Norwegian coast as well. And yeah it's a it's a vast area the norwegian coast is a big long coastline um so it's 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 like the logistics of getting around where were the resources that you were able to tap into to identify um the locations and the subject matters that would complement each other because i suppose you, you don't want to be going to norway and discover that the locations you go to just represent all the same structures and objects that you've maybe seen in the uk yeah. you're looking for something that's uh, that represents that location and that that uh, the feel of Nor Norway or the islands up north. Yeah, as much as possible. Whereas, but the um, what's interesting is obviously, especially on the Atlantic Wall defence, is that the kind of uniformity of the objects themselves. You know, they're they're built by one one army, one nation, the way. Yeah, and they were, they were built to, to stop an enemy invasion. You know, in this case, now they and the Atlantic Wall defence is a you know hulking, brutal, massive. Yeah. Massive, massive bunkers, etc., and gun emplacements. Um, but what set them apart was the landscape. Yes. So you know, in Norway, for instance, the landscape is you know it's harsh, rocky landscape. Um, and then as you you know you end up down on the northern coast of France and the west coast of France where it's soft sand. Yeah. So, so that's what that's what visual, created the visual difference was the context, you know, yes. the landscape the context that these these objects were set in, in that way. And the the research. Um, it was a huge combination of, you know, some uh, some physical research in, in books, you know, for yep. instance, you know, bunker archaeology, etc., um, and lots of online research as well through various websites, um, and then a combination of all those things together to to find locations that that seemed like they may be of interest, and then lots of hours on Google Maps and Google Earth as yep. well, and finding other imagery that that was made of those locations. You know, so I could see what these objects and these landscapes look like. And once you kind of put all those things together, you, you just generally you have a feel for it. You have a sense that that, that location looks interesting. Yes. And then, you know, but then I, I went to a lot of locations where I got there and it was completely uninteresting. <laughs> no. And it wasn't. And yeah. however many thousands of miles you travel, it doesn't matter. But if the if the if the image is going to be dull and boring, the image is going to be dull and boring, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there weren't too many like that, which was good. But it was... Um, it was the idea of trying to show um, the breadth of the scope yeah. of, the, the, of the coastline that these defences took, which is why I wanted to go from the, the kind of Franco-Spanish border all the way up to the, not to the yeah. far north and all at all, but yeah. the Norwegian coast, so kind of running along that whole long coastline. Yeah. And then again, you know, ran most of the UK in that way. So I never, I never had the intention to, and I didn't, I don't actually ever remember thinking that 
I can't photograph that location because it's a similar object. Yes. Yeah. As one I photographed because I didn't have to worry about that because the landscapes were so different. Yeah, that's where you're getting the variation from, and it generates yeah. the interest itself. And yeah. obviously, you talk about the text in your work as well. I think the text in the book is really very, very important, plays a huge role. So how did you bring the, together the combination of the text and the images? Did the images come first and then the text after? Or Yeah, yeah very much. It was the images and then, um, I mean, the, the text was made alongside you know, yes. as, as I made the images. So, yeah. um, but at, at the same time, we didn't want to be making texts for images that we would never use. Yes. So, you know, as we kind of started, as I started making the work, um, you know, there were some images that you kind of really felt these are going to be a part of the work. Yeah. You, you need that. So we started putting some research text together for those. Um, and then, the, you know, the rest were made pretty much towards the end of the project. Right. When I, you know, the edit had been done and we knew what was going to go into that book. We then had, I think, like 40 locations or 50 locations to then do the text for. Yes. In that yeah. way. There was quite a lot of extra work at the end to do that. Yeah. But I think, I think it really pulls together. And given the subject matter as well, as you see, it, gives people a story and an understanding as to as to what what they're looking at and giving an additional additional appreciation for for the subject matter and for the, the context that uh, the images portray and that your story tells so well yeah i mean that's you know that's what i want to do with all my photography is that to me photography is, is a form of communication and it's um I want all my. I want every image I make, and every you know, every book, and every kind of project yeah. I make to be a start, a starting point for a conversation. Yeah. Um. To me, to me, my work fails if someone looks at it, and they don't think, if it yeah. doesn't spark a thought in their mind. Um. It succeeds if they look at my work, and they then go away and they tell someone else about it. Um. Yes. It succeeds if they go away and they have a conversation either to do with that particular subject matter that I've been showing them or potentially something completely unrelated in terms of subject matter, but a similar story or a similar emotion or a similar feeling yeah. that's maybe connected to their family or their family history or some yes. location or some landscape they've been into. So, <coughs> excuse me, it's very much to me about the, um, you know, my work stands or falls on the success of that trigger, yeah. that sparking yeah. the conversation in that way. And so I suppose one question that springs to me is, Wait, what, where, does your, where does your historical interest or where does your interest in history come from? Because it's, it's clearly you've got a, a real interest in history, not just with The Last Stand, but also your future, your, your, the work yeah. that you're working on at the moment. And I, I, I really enjoy, particularly, I, I enjoy reading about the war and historical element and historical events as well. So I'd be really interested to know where, where, what's, what ignites your interest in historical events. Yeah, um, it's it's nothing like yours. But I have I've, I've never read history books as right. such. Um, so in some ways, I'm I'm uncertain where it comes from. Yeah. Um, I think it comes from something inside me that kind of yearns to understand about memory and history in that. Um, and whether it, whether whether there's any ever been any kind of particular spark or moment set this off inside me i've either either i haven't had it or i forgot if that yep. makes sense yes probably not the best answer you ever had but I, you know I, there, <laughs> there isn't that that oh moment where yes. it's like well this is what i want to do my work about or it's never been just a continuation of potentially like i used to love reading books about history yeah and, you know the culture in that way and so this was just a natural extension of that 
when I learned, you know, when I fell in love with photography and started taking pictures, this was my my visual form of my my already love of this kind of subject material. It wasn't there. So um, I think it's that combination of kind of family and memory and history and that desire to to kind of connect in a way with your with your own past and connect yeah. with other people's pasts just to get a greater understanding yeah. of of how people work you know uh, a greater understanding of what makes someone who they are yeah but i think beyond that the the desire as a photographer to tell other people's stories yes and i may very well be telling my own story by doing that and i am in fact in in my new work i'm yeah. you know one of the 20 stories is my own story my own family story um but it's that desire to to share other stories that want to be told um that desire to to share those stories for a few reasons one to share it because people want their stories told yeah but also because i you know i feel they're important and they're stories that can help other people you know they can they can give us education they can give us a rounded knowledge of the past and a rounded yep. knowledge of culture and in that way hopefully make today or tomorrow just that little bit better by going back to what i was just talking about by sparking that conversation that you wouldn't have had otherwise which yep. may help help you in some way in that way yeah, very good. So obviously your more most recent book, which is uh, Travel Log One. Now I really enjoy when you when you post uh, a lot of your images from your Eastern European travels and things like that. I find that part of the world really very very interesting. It always reminds me, um, always reminds me of when you're watching TV programs like to the Long Way Round and they're they're journeying through Siberia and places like that and I just find I find them fascinating cultures because you rarely come into contact with them so again the travel log I, th I think is a very different format much smaller nice and uh, more compact format and but it, it tells a really really I think it tells a really really nice story of just that whole the whole way um, Whole culture and it, it reminds me of the stories I think every image tells you tells you a different story of the location and the landscape that, that it's situated in quite often these places are huge in huge big vast landscapes with absolutely next to nothing but you always remember you're always reminded of the friendliness of the locals so I would love to just get a bit of understanding in terms of what what inspired you to do your travel log series um, and, and where the ideas come from. Um, well yeah it's it's not it's not a piece of work I set out to make um, yeah. in the way that the last the last band yes. was or the way that a wounded landscape is. Um, it's a piece of work that came out of another piece of work, if that makes sense. So yeah. all the images I've taken for Travel of One are images that I took whilst I was traveling the last six years making right. a wounded landscape. Yeah. So they're all they're all in, in some ways they're all incidental images of my my unconnected travels between these these random various towns, yes. villages, or, or countries. Um, that my reason for making these journeys was a whole other project in itself. Yeah. But what I what I found is that they these images, these other images that I took, started making sense on their own as well. Yes. And they started to tell not just the story of my particular travel over the last four or five years, um, but they became small kind of snippets of memory. Yeah. Of, you know, it happened to be me because I was the one taking the pictures, but, you know, small snippets of memory of an individual traveling through unknown, 20 unknown countries over yeah. a six year period. Um, and I enjoyed, I really enjoyed making the images and I enjoyed starting to look at them and piece them together. But I still never thought of making them into a book at all until, you know, until really recently, till maybe five, six months ago. Yep. Um, and this was, so this was uh, 
when the third edition of the last time was coming quite close to being being sold out before I'd thought about the potential of doing a reprint for the yeah. third edition of the last time. And, um, and I, I kind of thought, well, maybe I can do something with this work. And it was also, I needed, for myself, I needed to take a breath between yeah. you know the, the last hand, which is quite especially for the self-published versions editions, it was you know it's a big thing for me to do that and took a lot yeah. of my energy, but you know in a, in a positive way. But more so than that, I needed to take a breath between a wounded landscape coming out, yes. um, which has kind of consumed my life to a point for the last six years, especially photographically, but also kind of emotionally and physically in that way. Yeah. Um, and I I knew that you know when the when the book of when I get to that point of d doing the final design, you know, work with the designer. And, especially the publishing point ruined landscape that I wanted to make a small breath in between. So it was a breath yeah. for myself, but it was also for you know, the people that I know like my photography. I wanted to give them something not, and when I say smaller, I don't mean insignificant, yeah. but something simpler before yeah. the next work comes out. Cause the next work is, you know, but you know, not afraid to admit it's massive. It's like a, a nearly 800 page book filling, you know, close to 400 photographs and maps and texts and yes. pages and pages of conversation. And it, it's a difficult, it will be a difficult book in the way that the subject matter is difficult. And it's yes. not a book you'll be able to pick up and, and read in a, you know, a 10 minute period and flick yes. through in that way. So I wanted to make something small. And I, I also, I really like the idea of trying to design a book myself as well, yeah. which, I've, which I've never done before. So the third edition and the reprint of the last time was designed by Robert Shaw, who's like a designer friend of mine. He did an amazing job. And then a winter landscape is being designed by Wade Ford, who are both like full-time proper designers. Yes. Yeah. But for travel, like I wanted to try it myself, not because I wanted more control. Yeah. You know, because I think working with a designer is an amazing, fantastic thing, and they'll do things that you could never do. Yeah. But absolutely. it was just something something I wanted to kind of try out. And then as I started to do editing, you know, so I had I think about 130 photos that I just did, you know, small six by four prints of, and had them laid out over my floor and. At first, it was going to be two books, and then it was going to be three books, and then it ended up just being one book in the end. I still got a whole big pile of photos that could be another book, you yes. know, quite easy. Yeah. But I, it was a really enjoyable process, and it seemed um, it was that breath of breath for me because it was quite a simple process because the images, and I'm going to say on the face of it, aren't loaded with yep. significance, and they're not loaded with story, and they're not loaded yep. with terrible tragic histories like a lot of my other work is especially with your landscape yeah although they although they are as well because a lot of the images in travelogue are from locations very close and from yeah. journeys very close from one place to another but that's and there you know there's a couple of pictures in, in there that may well be in a wounded landscape as well because they're kind of taken from that so there's i quite yeah. like the idea of making that small connection yes but it's it's a book it's a book that can be read in a in a kind of gentle way right. yeah. um but it can also, I think, especially when you see the next work, people people may make more connections between the work you see in Travelodge and the work that you see in a wounded landscape, even though they're potentially visually very different and the content is very different. I think people that have both books will immediately realise that there are those connections between those. Yes. Yeah, but it is, it was, you know, it was, in, it was a really enjoyable piece of work to make, and I think the reaction to it's been really lovely. And you know, I've had a lot of reactions, like you know, people calling it um, kind of quiet and, yeah. and poetic. Which people, especially in this kind of you know strange year of lockdown, seem to really appreciate yeah. that way. And I, I, I never made it as a as a travelogue because we can't travel at the moment. But I didn't yeah. realise that until someone said that to me. They said it's wonderful because I can't travel except through your book. Yes. And I realised, oh yeah, that's that's which is really nice. But it's you know it's 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 been a real pleasure 
to make it, which is yeah. which is really nice. Well, as well. But it's uh, it's kind of let me take that pause, you know, before I move on to the next thing, yeah. where I which I am in already. Yeah, and the thing the thing is, when you've done the whole process yourself, there's it's incredibly rewarding to have seen your own design and your your own vision realized in, in, in the final shape and the final form that it's taken. And I think it's, I think it's a really, really nice book. I love the color of it and the foiling and, and just the, the small attentions to detail make it really, really yeah, very, very you. nice. And yeah. I mean, there's a, I've, I've learned, I've learned a lot as well. Yeah. I've learned what not to do next time. I, well, absolutely. It's, it's important, I think, to, mistakes in that way <laughs> yeah that's it and I, I look forward it's like i can i can just envision the travel log two coming out and at some point in the future as well it just seems a, a natural sequence um just it's a lovely pocket size that you can enjoy over a as you say it's a it's a simpler enjoyment it's a shorter period it's there's not the same yeah. deep emotional connection to su the subject matter that there is in the last stand and and also certainly in the wounded landscape and it's not 800 pages long which is yeah. <laughs> which is we, i've already i've already designed the cover for number two already that's right I mean, that so is, yeah well that's I would love to. I, I hope it's a different color so that there's then just a nice pattern. And I hope you give some thought to the color so that in ten years' time, when there's like travel log thirteen or something like, that, there's there's been some shading of blue or something like that to to plan it. Um, but so in terms of in terms of both in terms of both your books or picking even just one, the last standard, there maybe three or four images that have particular significance or or really or or there's a good story behind them. Um, it's it's strange. You're obviously not the first person to ask that question, um, and I'm, I'm certainly not the first photographer to be asked that question. And yeah. I always, and I always give the same answer. I really struggle, yeah, to say this is my favorite images or that my yeah. favorite image. Um, with with travelog in some ways it's quite easy, but with with work like the last home and the wind landscape, yes. it's it's, uh, it's really hard for me to pick out a favorite image. The reason yeah. being that I I don't like to place more weight or more oh, importance. Yeah. To, to one to one like that yep. it's kind of yes it's not, it's not so much of the image but it's i don't like to place more importance on one location, location. Yep. over another yes or um or one store one person's story over another story stuff like that but there's certainly you know in the last stand there's some images which i know visually work work better than others yeah um but they work better for different reasons some yep. you know there's one one of the images that aaron washed about on the northern coast of uh, on the normandy coast in france from the last stand which is one of the very few images where there are blue, where there is a blue sky. Yes. I think probably like out you know, seeing the whole book. Um, but I, I really love that image because of its softness and it has a real kind of delicacy to it. Yeah. And the um, the you know the object I'm photographing is very very small in the in a really vast kind of beach and, and yeah. thick landscape. And there's something I really like about that because it's it's one of the softest and most subtle of all the images in the work. Um, yeah. But then there's some others, you know, some other images like this kind of Studland Bay image, you know, which has the, the kind of fall, looking at a print of it now, has kind of fallen pillbox at an angle at the bottom of the cliff. And 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 to me that, you know, I love that as a photographer because it, it visually works in lots yes. of ways. And it's a very strong image, you know, and it's it's a very powerful image, but it still has a, a kind of softness because of the lighting yeah. and because of the moving water. But, you know, mo most images I, ha I have great memories of. There's, I think my... My, my fondest memory probably is um, having to break out of a Scottish hotel at 3.30 in the morning 
to get to a location, um, which is off, off the coast of Aberdeen. I'd ask them, I always kind of get to my locations the night before and yeah. you know, do my recce and do, do a composition just using my phone, whatever. Um, and then I know what I want to photograph. I know where I want to be standing. Yes. And I remember going to bed, you know, um, after just a beer or a couple of whiskeys, whatever, and saying that, you're sure the front door's not going to be locked because I'm leaving at 3.30 in the morning. I've got to be on location by quarter past four. And they're like, yeah, of course, it'll be fine. We're never locked the door. It's going to be absolutely fine. And it's obvious. Obviously, I woke up and the front door was locked and there was no key in it. So um, I kind of found a window that I could kind of jimmy, which was in the bar. And I basically went through to the bar and not broke, but kind of opened in a particular way, um, the window and climbed out. So I remember what a site I must have looked like, basically climbing out of this hotel room or hotel bar at 3.30 in the morning with a rucksack and a big tripod. And anyone seeing me would have just assumed I was doing a runner. not paid my bill. Yeah. You know? And then the, the, the look on their face when I came back in at 9.30 in the morning asking for breakfast, and they were like, you're a bit early. And I was like, yeah, I was here last night. They said, well, how'd you get out? And I kind of said, well, the door was locked. So I found another way. And, that, and they thought it was funny. So it was right. But yeah, so, you know, I have I have lots of nice kind of fun, yes, on, fun on, very non-story related things. Yeah, like indeed. Yeah. Obviously, your first, the first two editions of The Last Stand were published. And then the third edition has been self-published by yourself, as has Travel Log and as will be a yeah. wounded landscape. So how do you find the experience of having yeah. now published a couple of books yourself? Have you enjoyed it? Is it the way you want to work going forward? And what are the pitfalls that you've maybe you've maybe come across or what have you learned that you would redo? Yeah, I, um, short answer is I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um, other short answer is there's huge amounts of pitfalls <laughs> and, it, and it, it would be very it would be very easy after I think after you self-published your first book to say never again yes. but it's great I, I I've enjoyed every every element of it you know I've, I've even I've even recently learned to train myself to enjoy um when I sell my tra- send my travelogue book out now I wrap it up in tissue paper yes different color different color yeah. tissue paper I, I don't know what color t- paper you got but I'm you know I'm a self-confessed rubbish wrapper I am I'm terrible at wrapping Christmas presents. Can't do it for the life of me. But I've actually learned to enjoy that element of really taking time to wrap a book up in tissue yes. paper. It's amazing how much longer it adds to the whole process because not only do you have, in my case, about an extra minute for each book to wrap it up, still not that fantastically in tissue paper, but it means that you can't just grab a pile of books and wrap them all up and then and then you start packaging them up and looking through your order. But you have to know exactly how many books are signed books and how many are unsigned and yeah. how many special editions so that you can wrap up just your signed book first, and put them in a separate pile, and then wrap up your unsigned books and put them in a separate pile and hope that you remember which pile is which. which. Yeah. When, you, when you come to package them up in the cardboard. So I worked out the other day that um, with my travelogue books, if I wrap over every one of them, it's gonna, I'll have 44 hours of my life will have been spent wrapping up these books in tissue paper over just, just for travelogue over the next few months. Um, but I've learned to really enjoy it. Yeah. You know, f- fulfillment shouldn't be enjoyable because you're there basically printing off labels and then wrapping up a book and maybe signing it and sticking it in a cover box and closing the box and then taking it to the post office. And when I started, I, I tried to rush through it so it would take as little of my life as possible. But I've realized, especially in lockdown, that it's, whilst it doesn't, it's not necessarily the most fun process in the yeah. of my life, you know, you can enjoy it because you just kind of zone out very slightly, yeah. take your time, become quite methodical about it, yeah. and realize that what you're doing is you're, um, you're, 
you're making that extra little step for someone that's investing in in me as a yes. photographer. You know, someone's bought my book. They 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 paid money, and I, I'd like to think they're getting something in return. Obviously, yes. you know, the content yeah. of the book. But it's also the idea of if, if someone's investing in me that way, I want to. I've obviously invested in a lot of time, you know, four years or six years or whatever, making this work. But I want to invest that little bit extra time if I can. And even if it's just wrapping it potentially not fantastically in green or pink or blue or yellow tissue paper and putting a sticker on it, it's a nice thing. Absolutely. I think. And it, it, it means that, you know, that particular element of self-publishing fulfillment, which isn't that enjoyable, interesting, it can make it a bit sweeter and a bit nicer. Yeah. So That's I've... You know, and I've kind of learned with all the elements of self-publishing to, to take them all on board and really yeah. enjoy them in that way. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I think it's when when you receive a book, you as someone who receives a few books here and there, you remember the small details. So you will, I will always remember the multiple color, different tissue papers that you've used. Just as I can remember other people, I can remember other books which have appeared wrapped beautifully or unbeautifully wrapped but it's still it's still just that extra wee bit of attention to detail that someone has gone to to present their work in a slightly different way as opposed to receiving something that's just been bubble wrapped cellophane wrapped and stuck in a box sort of thing so they, they all they all do add to the experience and you you then find that everyone begins to talk about the work because they're getting something that's an entirely different colored tissue paper um yeah. through their hopefully they're talking it, about the work not just the tissue paper <laughs> absolutely but but, yeah. but it is it's it's you you remember small details and attention to details and, and things like that do they, they do they do stick in your mind um and they separate i think they also they also separate the work and separate it from so many other things that just come in that are plain standard and it's it's when you when you see one and you see it being unwrapped from the tissue you uh you begin to look forward to your copy arriving as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, just, it's kind of, it's all part of that self-publishing thing, I think, yeah. is that embracing the work that you have to do as yes. a, a self-publisher. But at the same time, you know, I think that there's certain things in self-publishing that it's great not to take on. Yeah. Like um, you know, the last sand and we did landscape, I would never have thought of taking those on in terms of design myself, because yes. I would have made a terrible job of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you know, because Travelogger was a lot simpler, it's something I could. So it's realizing whilst you're self-publishing when, when you need help. Yeah. One, because you just need the help, but also when it makes the work better in that way. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, when you're beginning to incorporate a lot of text, a lot of maps, and the layouts are far more complex and it's a it's a bigger volume of work. Um, yeah, I think you definitely benefit from people who have got who do it day in, day out. It's yeah, completely. Yeah, they they know all the font sizing and everything like that, just how text should look as opposed to you print out and you think, yeah, that looks pretty good. Whereas the reality, <laughs> the reality is you're, you're maybe a mile, you're a million miles off the mark. And um, yeah, I think the, the two books, as I say, I think they're both wonderful books and uh, delighted to have yes. copies of them both. And obviously talking about books, um, I'm always uh, interested to know what other books of other photographers you uh, you enjoy you like that maybe inspire you or you just enjoy sitting down and looking through them so if you've maybe got three or four of your personal favorites i'd be most interested to yeah of course um i don't have them here with me um yeah to look up and leave through but there, there's a there's a few of you know i've been i would never say i've been collecting photo books but i've been buying photo books obviously you know, as long as i've been a photographer yeah and one of the very first books i bought was robert frank's the lines of my hand 
not not the Americans, as most people would assume. Yeah. When you say Robert Hanks, and you know, it's it's completely different to any photograph I've ever taken. You know, in terms of composition and style and color and context and everything. Yeah. But I love it, and you can. It's a beautiful book as well because I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the cover has kind of tracing paper All over right. the cover. That has these kind of you know graphics on it. But every every time I look at that book, I find it incredibly inspiring. In, yeah. But it never inspires me to go and make that kind of work. Yeah, it just in, inspires me as an as a photographer. It inspires me as an artist, and more than that, it kind of inspires me as a human being. That it makes me want to go out and tell stories yeah. not necessarily you know capture these tiny fleeting moments that other people maybe do in a different and better way but to tell stories in that way so that that's um it's almost my kind of go-to photo book yeah you know when I, when I want some inspiration and com completely unconnected inspiration but for whatever reason it really really does that for me yes it's great um and then another another book that i really love is motherland by simon roberts yeah which I, I don't know if you have um which is out of print, unfortunately, at the moment. Because I say unfortunately, because I think more people, more people should own it. It's it's, it's a fantastic book because it's um, you know there's echoes of my own work in it, I guess, as well. But it, it's I think I appreciate it because of that traveling element. But it's that journey um, that Simon takes us through a whole land and a whole culture of people and you know variety of cultures of different people. And there's something fascinating in every photograph and. I, to me, a successful photograph is when you, you look at it and you want to know more. You know, you yeah. want to know more about the landscape or, you know, what happens in that building or, you know, what are those people's lives? And I want to know all the interconnecting stories yes. of all the people in all the pictures, yeah. which is impossible. Yeah. You know, you have millions of photographs everywhere. It's, it's almost that idea of, you know, you, you look at a tower block and, or a big block of flats and you know that every single window contains a story and you want to know yes. all those stories. And I really like that. So that, that's, that's the element of Simon's book that I love is that it, it takes me not just on his journey yeah. you know, in Russia, but it, it can take you into multiple journeys of imagination through each individual yeah. image. And I love that. I like that a, a work can kind of spark that imaginary yeah. story. Of what was, what's that person's life like in that way? Yeah. So, so I, I like the formats, you know, it's not too big as well. It's, the images are beautiful, obviously. Yes. Um, and then another book, which is kind of more recent, I guess, is uh, The Photographic Investigation by Macho, Macho Asela. I think that's the right way right. to describe it, which is about Monsanto, the chemical producer and pesticide producer. And um, I, I love it because it's, it's visually very different to a lot of other books and it's put together in a, in a quite a fascinating way and it's um you know it's not it's not classical imagery it's in no kind of form of landscape imagery in that way but there's again there's stories and it's individuals people's stories within this great big story of monsanto and i i think that's why i like it because it's it's like a multi-layered piece of work and it takes you again not just on a singular journey but on a journey that has these peaks and troughs yeah and a journey that's at one point massive and you know multi conglomerations and stuff like that and corporate corporate entities but at the same time it never forgets the individuals and the individual people that are affected by that story yeah yeah by this massive story which i really like as well for that um and then the fourth book which i mentioned before is book that i don't actually have right. unfortunately Wish um, which is laura l tantoy's book um in the shadows of the yeah in the shadows of the pyramid from um the egyptian revolution of 10 i think 10 years ago now um but I've spent some time in this book. I remember when her work was, I think, part of the Deutsche Prize at the Photography Amazing. Gallery. And I remember going to see the exhibition there. And there was a slideshows and there was some prints on the wall, I think. But then there was a book in the corner. 
And I remember going and looking at the book and I was just turning over and I realized I'd been there for about 20 minutes in the gallery, just leafing through this book of hers, which is so tantalizingly beautiful. And I looked around and there was a whole group of people all behind me, leaning over my shoulders, trying <laughs> to look at the book as well. And I hadn't noticed them. I hadn't heard them. I hadn't even felt their presence because I was so encapsulated by the book. And I think it's yeah. because, you know, the images she makes are so wonderful. And they allow you to fall into that environment and fall into the atmosphere and, you know, obviously not become a part. You can't become a part of it, but you can you can start to hint at the imagination and the feeling and the sensitivity and the passion yeah. of that whole period of time, you know, and that's still there obviously 10 years later. Yeah. And I know that's just coming out, come out or coming out as a second edition as well at the yeah. moment, but I think it may be a bit expensive for me to buy at the moment. Um, but if things go well this year, then maybe I can, if I can yes. still find it. But yes. yeah, so it's like my, you know, one of my most favorite photo books is unfortunately one that I don't have, but one yeah. that I, I've, I spent, I remember that lovely half hour in the photographer's gallery surrounded by scores of people without even realizing they were there. And that, that's, that's one of the moments actually when I realized the real power of a book yes. over compared, let's say to an exhibition that you can, you can lose yourself in a book yeah. in a way that I don't think you can in an exhibition. It's yeah. a very individual personal experience. And to be honest, I could have stood there for hours going backwards and forwards through this work. It was a really beautiful experience, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can really immerse yourself in a good book, one that really connects to you and, and one yeah. that you can really, you can take inspiration from and ideas from as well. I think, yeah, yeah they're, they're wonderful and they can go back up on the shelf and come out and just, it's always nice to just refresh your, refresh your mind, your memories again yeah, as well. Yeah, I like the idea that of a photography book of not being a one-time read. You know, it's um, it's something that either it's not a one-time read because it's big and it takes a long time to get through it, or it's just something that you want to go back to again and again. Yeah. Whether it's you go back to a particular image or a small set of images, or maybe the whole book again, and you can, it's yeah. like an old friend, you know. That, yes. And if a if a book if a book's successful and it's starting those conversations, then it's that conversation with that old friend. I, I like that idea. Yeah, and it's quite interesting from speaking to other people in the podcast quite as if there's a number of people who the one of their favorite books might be one of the first books that really got them connected into photography or, mm. or into the work that they did and it it might not be as not necessarily the most amazing photography it's, but it, it's the whole connection that just takes you back and it's the memories that I, I think that's what people enjoy and they can always go back and remind themselves why, why, why they're doing what they're doing sort of thing so um, obviously you've got uh, you've got a big big body of work that's coming out or certainly that you're you're planning to kick start excuse the pun it's in the name so. <laughs> that's it uh, yeah at the start of March so um, a wounded a wounded landscape which I think has been five or six years worth of work um, so yeah, it'd, be, right. it'd be great just to get a, a, bit of, a bit of a background. Well, I don't have a copy of it. I will obviously uh, probably be getting a copy once uh, once your Kickstarter goes live. But it'd be great just to get a bit of a background and uh, an insight into it and, and the reasons behind the work and some of the stories. Yeah, so it's um, the, the full title, like, like the work itself is quite long. Um, so it's a wounded landscape bearing witness to the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, and it's a subject matter that I've, you know, for oh, thinking how old I am now, uh, for maybe 25 years, I've, I've wanted to, to make a piece of work about it as a photographer. Yeah. Pretty much since I started, I, I mean, I, I did a sociology degree first and then went into photography from that. Right. And it was, it was based around that time, the time I did my degree in my MA, that this um, 
I, I started to get feelings of echoes of this kind of, of the Holocaust and this subject matter, which, which is I have kind of family connections to it as well. But yeah, um, I wasn't I wasn't brought up in a religious family. I wasn't brought up in a, a culturally open family in the way that we it was something that we spoke about a lot, which is the same experience for, you know, for lots of people affected, you know, whose families are affected yep. by trauma and tragedy in this way. But for, you know, for 20, 25 years, I've I've always felt um, a desire you know, and to, to a point of a need, that desire to make a piece of photographic work about it, because this is the conversation I want to have. You know, this yes. is the thing I want to communicate about. But I never felt I never felt I was good enough in the way that I never felt I could um, make the right photographs that would do this work justice. Yeah. And in that sense, in more than a visual sense, I never felt I could tell the right. I didn't know what to talk about. You know, it's, okay. it's such a yeah. massive subject. Yes. I, I didn't know what element, what part of it to discuss through my photographs. And then I didn't know, I didn't think I could make the right photographs, even if yeah. I knew what to discuss. So it, it didn't happen. And then when I finished The Last Stand, and it was, you know, it was right when I finished The Last Stand, and, and I looked at the whole body of work and people started to talk about it. And, you know, what came up in a lot of conversations was the kind of subtlety and sensitivity of the work. Yeah. And that's when I realised that maybe I'd finally had this visual language that would allow me to broach the subject of the Holocaust. Yes. Um, and at that point, I still didn't know where, with the direction I wanted to go in. Um, yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to photograph, what I wanted to talk about. And I, you know, I had some ideas and I went down, I went to um, a location in the south, the kind of southeast of France, which was like a, a research location in a way, but it was research that's you know, connected to one of the stories in the working end. And I took about three or four cameras with me because I wanted to see all the different ways that I could make this work and what kind of photographs could I make. Yep. And I, I had my initial was I had these ideas of doing work akin to the last stand that I would, in this case, instead of standing in a sea, I would stand on top of a, of a mountain or a hill and I would look at the vast landscape in front of me and I'd have my four, four, five, four out and with a hood over my head and stuff like that. Um, and so I found my hill uh, in front of my location, um, which is an old internment camp in the south. And um, I set my 5.4 camera up and I never took a picture with it because I put this hood over my head and it, it just felt completely wrong yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, it's maybe completely right to, to other people. And then that's, that's absolutely yeah. fine, of course. But to me, it felt wrong. And it felt wrong because I felt like I was gazing at this subject matter. I felt like I was becoming ob too objective. I felt like yeah. I was, you know, a voyeur almost because, yeah. because and literally because of the physical way that I was thinking of making these photographs. Yes. So I did, I did some shots with a medium format camera I had with me as well, like a house of bad. And I did some shots with my digital camera that I had with me and I started making work and there was, I had some experiences in that two, three, two day period that I was there that kind of changed my, not changed my life forever, but changed the way I look at my photography forever. Yeah. And changed the connection I wanted to have with this subject matter. And it started to make me realize that <clears throat> what I needed to do with this work was tell stories. Yeah. You know, tell individual stories of this work. And then I came back and I showed showed the work to some people. I had some conversations with them. And and that's what bore out from those conversations as well, that it wasn't about what was important wasn't on the face of it about these places, but it was about the stories of these people. And you know, I, I had lots of conversations, not just with photographers, of course, and, and art directors, but with people very closely connected with the subject matter with yeah. you know sort of researchers and historians and sort of directors of kind of you know, genocide libraries and places like that yeah. and I, I showed them what I was doing because I never wanted to what I realized is this work was far too important for me to try and make in isolation and then reveal to the world in four or five yes. years yeah because 
because mm. I could well think I was doing it right and be doing it absolutely wrong. But then what yes. a waste of time and yep. everybody's money that would be. So I showed, you know, I, I showed the work to people at first and, and the reaction I got was in, incredibly positive. It was a very slow reaction. Yeah. I remember the first time I showed, <coughs> excuse me, um, first time I showed some of the work, it took about 20 minutes for them to say anything as they were kind of leap, leaping through my leaping through my photographs and then the within those first 10 15 minutes he'd got up and taken a couple of phone calls and then the third time the phone rang he didn't get up and take the phone call and that was the moment i knew maybe i was onto something at that yeah. point but then i remember he looked up at me and he just said mark these are wonderful this yeah. is like nothing we've seen before and then he'd look back and he carried on looking at the photographs yeah. and i knew at that point that there was i was doing something right so i've always you know i spent the last five six years making this work having conversations with people, showing them what I'm doing so that I'm always know that the reaction I'm getting is the reaction that is one is the correct reaction, but also yeah. the reaction that I want. That one. Yeah. Um, so the work kind of ebbed and flowed and it's, it's ended up that is, I've always wanted to make a work that shows a kind of sprawling nature, the mass sprawling nature of the subject, of the Holocaust. You know, it's, it's a history where there's in terms of locations and sites within kind of Europe and Eastern Europe, there's like yeah. 40,000 more than 40,000 sites yeah. um, where, you know, for want of a better word, the Holocaust happened, you know, on, on individual scales, on the scale of a single person or the scale of a ghetto or yeah. extermination camps, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I ended up wanting to tell these stories and I realized that I wanted to tell a very small number of individual stories, but to make it so that these indiv each individual story would be a reflection of tens or hundreds or thousands or millions yes. of other stories in yeah. that way. Yeah. But at the same time as talking about these thousands and thousands of people, by talking about a few individuals, you would realize that it's it's not a history of numbers. Yeah. It's not a history of six and a half million or a history of forty thousand locations, it's a history of one individual person. Yeah. And that one individual person is multiplied, you no, know, it's their brother and their sister yeah. and their aunt, their uncle and their grandmother. Yeah. But again and again and again in that way. So it, so that part in a way was very easy and I never went looking for stories you know the, the first story was there already the first story is my family's story yeah and then the second story was um a friend of my family yeah and the third story was a friend of, of theirs friend, yeah and, and so on so on so it was always I never wanted to find a particular story that was set at a particular location yes within through a particular event you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it was important that I I would let these stories come to me because yeah. to me, what, what was important about that is that no one story is or was more important than another. Than the other. yeah. So whatever yeah. story someone chose to tell me, whether it was on a, that small scale or that large scale, was as important as the next. Yeah. And I had no particular number. I didn't have 22 stories in mind at all. I had no, I had no idea how many I would do, but it ended up as it was going to be 21. And then um, about a year ago, a story that I had started about three years ago and then had petered out came back to me for a message on funny enough so it ended up as 22 stories Two. in that way and these yeah. and each story of um this family so based around an individual but their family as well yes. who either was murdered during the holocaust or survived the holocaust um yeah. and may have died since then but then i've spoken to you know their grandchildren or their yeah. children's family kind of relatives. generation in that way and after these conversations i'd have with these people which wonderful because they were meant to last for 10 15 minutes and they'd last for four or five hours instead. yeah i can imagine yeah and it was they were never interviews it was always a conversation i would just yeah. i would let people tell me whatever they chose to tell me on that given Absolutely. day because that's yeah. what that's what they chose to share with me and then what i've done over these last four five, six years now is to kind of follow these stories just myself obviously to as many of the locations as i could 
yep. of the story. You know, small villages where they were born, um, places perhaps where they were arrested, where they, the ghettos where they were kept, yeah. places where they were deported from death, death marches they were taken on, you know, camps in some cases, in many cases they were taken to, whether it's like a, a sub-camp or a labour camp or a yep. concentration camp or an extermination camp, etc. So by making these 22 individual stories, you create this kind of spider web network of yeah. locations and lines of this of this bigger and bigger and bigger yeah all interconnected you know, events in that way exactly through those interconnections um so that's what i've ended up with after six years it's it's yeah. a it's obviously a very large piece of work um but that's the that's the stage yeah. i'm at now you know so, i have i have i have the body of work and now it's i've, I've always imagined it as you know books yeah. book as being the main the vehicle for it um, and I will have, I've had, and I will have exhibitions of the work. Obviously, yeah. the exhibitions aren't kind of happening at the moment. Yes. And I've really done a fair amount of talks about the work, but I want to give lots and lots of talks wherever I can yeah. because that's that's the way to communicate and to Absolutely. get this conversation going. You know, the, the more people at a time, the better because you have more conversations. Um, yeah. And then I'm hoping also to make a, a kind of online archive of the work fairly soon yeah. as well, so that they can be much more accessible. Yes. That way. The book is where I am at the moment with that work. So I'm working with designer Wayne Ford, and we've been we've been working on it for kind of a year or so. You know, yeah. Um, and you know, I've got a copy editor obviously working with me to make sure the text is right because the, the book <laughs> contains the transcriptions of the 22 yes. conversations I've had, and small bits of research text uh, and lots of maps as well. So we've got a map maker working with us. And I'm not what I realized from the beginning is that I didn't need to make a book that was a history book. Um, yeah. I didn't need to make a book that was fact, 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 because I want and I need this work to be seen, uh, understood alongside all this other work that's already out there. Yes. You know, there's no kind of competition as such. So, yeah. my work, you know, will, will people will understand my work better if they read other books, for instance. You know? yeah. And I hope that once they've looked at my work, it will spark them to want to go and read an more interest yeah. and to learn more. And hope you know, hopefully about the, the stories I'm telling and that history, but also about their own families, yeah, which may be very different histories, but there's some kind of emotional connection, yes, which which is maybe things they haven't spoken about before. In that yeah. way. So we are um, we're close to the end of the design of the book. Yeah. Um, being made at the moment, and um, it's going to be self-published again, and we're starting the launch of the Kickstarter on the third of March. Yeah. For it. And it's a big, it's a big book, um, not physical in dimensions, you know, length, width, and height, whatever. Um, it's I never wanted to make a coffee table book. Obviously, it no. needs to be a bit smaller, yeah. but it's it's big because Thick. it's close. It's about seven hundred ninety-two pages. Yeah, it's it's a lot, um, and I've obviously spent you know months thinking yeah. it's too many. Yeah, and I've had lots of conversations where it's too big. How can you make a photo book that big? Um, but then. What happens is that you show people the work, you know, I've shown people the work and they look at it and they say, yeah, it can't be that big. It's way too big. And then they look at it again and they go, okay. And then they look at it some more. And and then, you know, to every single one of them, their response has been actually, Mark, it's the only way it can be made. Yes. It has to be the size, not because you want a big book, but this is what the stories need. And this yeah. is what the stories deserve. And to, to reduce it in any way would be to reduce the importance of each yes. of their stories in that way yeah personally i've never had a problem with the thing big I, I don't mind if it takes people a week yeah. to read it and yeah. I, you know i like to say read not look at because it's yeah. that that's how i like people to, yes. to look at my photographs in that way um i would not expect people to be able to or you know whether 
from time or emotionally to be able to look at a book in one, in one sitting because it's not easy going particularly. Yeah. Um, but it's the kind of thing that you know people will go back to i hope again and again and again and they'll kind of work their way through it in that way yeah. but at the same time you know you, you know my imagery you know what my imagery from the last stand is like and the subject matter is is harsher obviously yeah. in the, um and that the content and the context is much more brutal and much more yeah. tragic but the imagery is it's still my my You're kind of photographs yeah. i've still tried to create images that are kind of soft and subtle and sensitive yeah. because that's yeah. That's that's the way I want to tell these people's stories because yeah. that's that's how I found these people. I found these people to be, you know, gentle and delicate, yeah, incredibly strong as well, but but loving and kind and giving, and and that's what I wanted to reflect yeah. in the in the way I tell their stories in that way. Yeah, well, to be perfectly honest, it sounds absolutely fascinating, and I can't wait to can't wait to support it on Kickstarter. It's yeah. I, I can imagine, I can just already envisage myself spending many, many hours looking through it. Yeah, it just sounds absolutely breathtaking, even though it's 792 pages. So it will be a, it'll be, but I, as you say, sometimes these things have to be that scale in order to do it justice. If you, if, yeah. if, it, if it was reduced, then you, you would forever wish. Uh, I should have just done it. Seven hundred ninety-two pages. So your your best, you you know your gut instinct. What works, and obviously yeah. you've, you've sought feedback, and 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 uh, yeah, I'm must say very much looking forward to it. So I mean, um, it causes problems because it's uh, it's an expensive book to print, obviously. So yeah, it's a, I can, I can, and yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things that's important to me is that I I don't want it to be an overly expensive book for people to be able to buy as well. So it, yeah, it, it's it's trying to find that balance between making it in the way you want to make it, but. Yeah. not making it a complete luxury because because of the content it should never be a luxury but at the same yeah. time it's you know it's not something i can sell for like 25 30 quid because no. it's, it's yeah. size. Yes, indeed. i'll do my best to keep it under 50 at least so. <laughs> yeah. well that's it and i i think i think to be perfectly honest it's uh, i'm sure once we see some of the i had a look at some of the images on your on your website and yeah, I, I I think it looks really just absolutely fascinating and, and really really interesting and uh, yeah, I'm. I have no doubt that you will have approached it with the with the same care and attention as you've approached your other work. So um, I wish you all the very best with it, um, and I look forward to look forward to supporting and getting uh, getting my copy in due course once you meet your target. Um, and on that note, Mark, I just really like to thank you for your time. It has been a pleasure talking to you about your your work. Um, Last Stand, Travel Log, and your forthcoming work, Wounded Landscape. So uh, thank you very much for joining me this evening. Yeah, that's right. My pleasure. Well. Right. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Thanks.